it took until my 40s to realize that all the hot stoves that I had touched from my dad leaving to being abused as a child to losing over a hundred million dollars and all the bleeders in my life, all the mistakes, failures, setbacks and challenges of my life. All that was, was a slap on my hand from the omniscient, from the all powerful, the all knowing, the abundant source slapping on my hand saying, I know you think you want this job. I know you think you want to get into this school. I know you think you want to do these things, but here, bam, let me promote you and protect you. Hey everybody, this is Michael Red, and welcome to the Betting on Yourself podcast, where I interview successful entrepreneurs, athletes, and other top performers who rose to the top, took success into their own hands, and bet on themselves. Today, I'm talking with Dave Meltzer, one of the great servant leaders of our time. He's an entrepreneur, speaker, and best-selling author of the books Compassionate Capitalism and Connected to Goodness. In this episode, we delve into David's extraordinary career, how his incredible mother shaped his outlook on life, and how growing up poor impacted his trajectory. He describes how having an abundance mindset has helped him contribute to society by sharing his wealth and success, and how he learned the true value of going the extra mile every single day. David's life has been full of challenges, and when he first started his career, he had no idea that this was where he would end up. It was only by betting on himself and believing in his potential that he was able to take the risk that would set him on his true path. If you're ready to uncover your potential and learn how to bet on yourself, then this episode is for you. Here's my conversation with Dave Meltzer. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Betting on Yourself podcast with Michael Red. I am privileged and honored beyond belief, actually, that he actually joined this podcast, Mr. Dave Meltzer, who we all know as the author of the books, Compassionate Capitalism, Connected to Goodness. He is over the podcast, The Playbook. The bio is too long to list, but he is gracious enough to join us on this podcast. David, thank you for coming on the podcast. You know, it's my pleasure, especially because of the subject matter. My life changed when my mom said one thing to me. She said, David, what are you ever going to invest in if you're not going to invest in yourself? What are you ever going to bet on if you're not going to bet on yourself? And that was at a moment when my brother had passed away. I was going to leave law school, take a job selling golf clubs in Japan for the money. And through that one piece of advice, my life changed forever. Wow. And I've heard you reference your mother throughout many interviews and reading upon your history and your journey. Talk to me about what that has meant to you as far as betting on yourself. You know, for me, I believe, and I have four children of my own, the kids don't listen to you, but they watch you. And I was blessed to have a front row seat to an extraordinary woman, a woman who raised six kids, five boys and a girl, as a second grade teacher, packing our dinner in a paper bag in a station wagon so she could fill up greeting cards to turnstiles at convenience stores just so we could eat, yet empowering all of us to be educated, empowering us to know that we needed to bet on ourselves, that the only way that we were going to get out of this financial distress was through the education, the love, and the forgiveness that I watched. She never told me I needed to get straight A's. She never told me that I had to enjoy the consistent, everyday, persistent 
pursuit of my potential. She never told me or forced me to do anything, but I watched her and every day had a front row seat to what I call the empty mile. And you know this from being such an extraordinary basketball player that people talk about the extra mile, but all the players that you played with, the guys who didn't make it, they go the extra mile every once in a while. And that's a very crowded place because most human beings can go the extra mile every once in a while. It's the extraordinary individuals, the ones like yourself and my business partner, Warren Moon and Marshall Falk and all the spirits of excellence that I surround myself with. The only difference is they go the extra mile every day. And I had a front row seat to that. And so my mom had everything to do with my mindset, my heart set and my handset of carrying that spirit of excellence, not just to make a lot of money, but to help a lot of people and be happy having a lot of fun. You know, I'm so drawn to you, David, because of your spirit and your heart towards people. Where did your passion for people come from? Was it your mother? It was my whole family, you know, and I was blessed. I'm not religious in nature. So for me, religion separates us, but I'm probably one of the biggest faith-based people that you meet. Meaning for me, I truly believe most of the time, nobody can, you know, act or believe upon it all the time, but I believe there's something bigger than me, an omniscient, all-powerful, all-loving, all-knowing source that loves me as much as my mom loves me. And through this philosophy of faith that I'm not here for things to happen to me like a victim when I was a child. I lived in the world of liability, you know, being poor, everything happens to you. Why can't I do this? Why, why? Then I lived in the world of for me, where it was try me, right? Try me. But I was shallow in the respect that it's a zero-sum game. If I received, then somebody else lost. Or if I give to receive. And instead of a negotiation or a trade, I moved to this faith-based world of more than enough of everything for everyone. Not a zero-sum game, but a value-add game that shifted my paradigm from the world happening to me as a victim the world happening for me in a trade, a scarce world of zero sum, where I'd buy things that I didn't need to impress people I didn't like into this new world that I live in of more than enough of everything for everyone. And when you truly have faith that there's more than enough of everything for everyone, all you do is want to receive more, appreciate it, acknowledge it by giving it away. And that's the cycle or the flow that I live in. And it starts with faith that there's more than enough of everything for everyone so that I can go get it to give it away. Wow. It dawns upon me as I talk to you and obviously research. I think you're one of the great servant leaders in the world. How important is that when you mentor, share with other leaders, people in general, that element of servanthood? You know, I wrote that book, Compassionate Capitalism, about being a servant leader. I mean, we talked about going the extra mile every day, which made both of our careers so fulfilling, passionate, purposeful, and profitable. But to be a true servant leader, you have to be an intelligent follower, number one, which means you have to have gratitude, forgiveness, and accountability in your daily practices. Beyond being an intelligent follower, you have to go the extra mile every day. So it's not good enough to give. It's not good enough to receive. It's not good enough just to make money, you have to have an impact with everything that you do. I'm looking to empower a thousand people like you, Michael, to empower another thousand, to empower another thousand, simply to be happy. 
And I define pragmatic man-made happiness as this ability to enjoy the consistent every day, going the extra mile every day, persistent without quit, pursuit of your potential economically to make more money, philanthropically to help more people, and in a spiritual, emotional, and physical sense, to be happy, healthy, wealthy, and worthy. See, the biggest shift in the paradigm from being a compassionate capitalist or a servant leader is that the biggest aspect is a shift that I don't have to go get happy. I don't have to get healthy, wealthy, or worthy. I am happy, healthy, wealthy, and worthy. I just have to figure out what I'm doing to interfere with it and then empower others to do the same. What you're tapping into is identity. And that is something that I think is important for all of us, and particularly with entrepreneurs and leaders. Is that a message that you tap into a lot as far as that identity aspect? Yeah, it's so interesting that you use that word because I think identity and identification is a superpower because we need to be aware of what's interfering. So, you know, when we start becoming aware of what we're doing to get in our own way, where we become aware of the conscious, subconscious, and unconscious activity or habits, what I call the energetic and genetic inheritance that is setting our temperature, setting limitations. Your journey here should be about killing off those limitations. That's the only purpose of what we do. We're just here to kill off limitations because we have unlimited potential. We live in abundance. And so for me, it's critical to utilize this perspective of understanding our potential, not what other people want for us, what's missing, what we don't have, but simply really living by those attributes of being able to identify what it is that's interfering with our potential. Because look, 80% of most people's time is spent on things that bleed them. They surround themselves with people that bleed them. They surround themselves with situations that bleed them. There is a pragmatic reconciliation that occurs between this theoretical world of I can find the light, the love, and the lessons in anybody and anything, but is it worth my time? And that's where people drop the ball, is if they can't identify what it is that's interfering or what's bleeding them, then they can't figure out how to utilize the 24 hours of activity that we get in a day, the activity we get paid for, activity we don't get paid for. I don't believe in work. Activity we have planned, activity we don't have planned. I don't believe in busy. And even the activity of sleep, identifying why is it that the majority of human beings go to bed at night and wake up more tired. That's like you and I going out to eat and ending up hungry. It doesn't make sense, but almost everyone on earth does it. Wow. That is so true. It almost seems like one of your passions in life now is confronting the potential in people. Does that make sense? Is that Yeah, yeah. I think it's challenging people. You know, there's a book, I'm a big audio book person, but there's a book called Social Deviance by Marshall Thurber. And he talks about perturbation. And what I like to do is to perturbate, perturb somebody's mind. I love to change the way people look at things. So the things that they look at change. And one of those ways is to challenge people with open-ended questions, non-conflictual, non-confrontational questions open-ended questions that get people to think about things in an order to perturb it, to change it. And in that aspect, I point out through questions by asking people, what do you do today? What do you like about that? What don't you like about that? Would it help you if? And this little template that I utilize is a great tool 
as you say, to confront or perturbate people to change the way they look at things so that they see how they're limiting themselves. One of the greatest limitations that every human being beyond the sleep factor that I talk about is most people have limitations on receiving. They don't either feel worthy of receiving, they feel guilty, offended when receiving. And the reason is, is they don't have faith that there's more than enough. It is a matter of faith if you are comfortable receiving because you know the more you receive, the more you give, the more impact you can have, the more people you can help, the more happiness you can provide, then you would have no problem receiving, especially if you have faith that there's more than enough filling back in in a value-add word, not world, not a zero-sum world. Faith is at the core. I'm telling you, it's a foundational principle in changing the mindset, the heart set, the handset, in perturbating or confronting people about hey, this is how you're limiting yourself from your true light, love, and lessons that are available to you. Wow. I often say that I love people leaving me with more questions than answers. <laughs> that's a good sign of a leader. And that's something that you do very, very well. Speaking of identity, doing what you're doing now, obviously co-founder of Sports One Marketing, which is one of the best marketing, top marketing companies in the world, and what you've done up to this point, could you foresee you doing this or did you see yourself playing football and then Christian Okoye ran you over and then that changed? <laughs> you nailed it, man. I still can't believe If you would ask me a year ago, you know, would I be, you know, having a top podcast in the world? Would I have TV shows on Apple TV, like Two Minute Drill and Office Hours? And I just went on a, literally a 30 days total, 20 speaking engagements around the world, Ireland, UK, Riyadh, Dubai, Dallas, New York right? The masters. And then I just finished up in New Orleans yesterday with Matthew McConaughey and Mike Tannenbaum, uh, who you know from ESPN. If somebody would have told me a year ago, right, that some of the things that are going on in my life, I would have said, I have limiting beliefs. And so, yes, as a five foot seven, 145 pound college recruit who ended up playing, you know, average division three football, but was blessed to be run over by Christian Okoye, on my first football play because it's at least got me serious. I always say to my coach, I said, the best thing that happened to my academic career is Christian Okoye ran me over and shattered my dream. So I started becoming a real student. And the thing I learned in college was how to be a student. And what does that mean? I learned to be more interested than interesting. And I want to thank Christian Okoye, who's my friend. He's the head of the California Sports Hall of Fame, who keeps nominating me into the California Sports Hall of Fame for the sports agency and marketing aspects of what I've done, as Lee Steinberg has been inducted as well here in California. Warren Moon, obviously, my business partner in Sports One, inducted as well with you know amazing people like Oscar De La Hoya. But I can't believe that I've been nominated into the California Sports Hall of Fame, not for playing football, but for helping people and doing business in sports. It's an amazing world what you could manifest. Wow. And sports, and well-deserved, and congratulations on that, too. Sports has always been in your blood. Yeah. Born with a football in my hand, and I just wish I had the body to hold it. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know if a lot of people know this. I'm sure they do follow you and, and connect with you. I mean, pre-med, right? Student? Yeah. Right? And so tell me about the pivots and the shifts along the way. We're talking about betting on yourself. I was going to say, that's a great question, right? Betting on myself is exactly what happened. So my mom had a rule, doctor, lawyer, failure. I was the only one of the six of us that didn't follow her rules. My siblings all went that direction in the Ivy Leagues, graduated summa cum laude. 
I immediately when got ran over by Christian decided I'd be a doctor, but only for one reason, only to make a lot of money to buy my mama a house and a car. I didn't know anything about being a doctor. So I visit my oldest brother who was a doctor and that's where he gave me that great piece of advice, right? I told him I'm in the hospital, dude, I hate hospitals. He's like, David, you're pre-med. What do you mean you hate hospitals? I'm like, I'm going to be a sports doctor. I'll be on the sidelines in locker rooms. I'm 18 years old, right? And he looks at me like he's, you know, dumbfounded. He's like, you're kidding, right? I said, no, I'm going to be a sports doctor. He said, David, you need to be more interested than interesting. So then I pivoted and wanted to be a lawyer because I want to make my mom happy and I want to make a lot of money and lawyers make a lot of money. But this time I reverse engineer to find out what lawyers make the most money, where to go to school to become that type of lawyer. And that's how I ended up at Tulane Law School, the leading maritime law school who had the most oil and gas litigators, which by the way, paid the most money. Then I pivoted because my goal was to make a lot of money to buy my mom a house and a car. This new thing called the internet, Web 1.0 was coming out and I got a job offer as a salesperson selling legal research online. My mom, who loves me more than she should, actually told me the internet was a fad, people will never do research on the internet, and that I was making the biggest mistake of my life. That lesson was about investing in myself because part of investing in yourself and betting on yourself is do you have the courage to not do what other people want for you, not do what's missing or what you don't have, but literally do what you want, what you believe. Believing in yourself is the fourth level of betting on yourself. There's five levels of betting on yourself. When you do what it takes to get to where you want to be, that's betting on yourself. When you say what you want in the positive direction, that's betting on yourself. When you think what you want in that positive trajectory, that's betting on yourself. When you believe, like in Think and Grow Rich, it's the fourth level of betting on yourself. And I believed in myself that the internet wasn't a fad. And nine months out of law school, I became a millionaire and bought my mom a house and a car. And I continued to use the five levels of betting on myself, unaware of the fifth level until most recently, I realized there's a fifth level. It's not just what I do say, think, and believe. It's what I feel. And that as an athlete, it's someone who carries the spirit of excellence like yourself that has played and succeeded at the highest level of almost what every athlete in the world wants to be, an all-star, an Olympian, an unbelievable superstar. But guess what? It's because of the fifth level of betting on yourself. Do you feel it? Are you inspired? Because if you feel it, it's no problem living in the empty mile. You have no problem, Michael, I'm sure, every day pursuing that goal, your potential of what you were born to do. And so I teach people to bet on themselves in five ways. You got to do everything, say everything, think everything, believe it. And you know, in the fifth level, when you feel it, when you're inspired, when your intuition, when all of those feelings are in the same trajectory as the other four, I'm telling you, you are making the big bet and you're getting the big results. Wow. I know people who are listening to this right now are going to be inspired. This is so good. Like you, I want not only for myself, for people I'm in touch with and in tune with to be fully optimized in their life. And there's always more, right? And so that you exude that and 
you've had some incredible highs. Three-time international best-selling author, former CEO of the Lee Steinberg Sports and Entertainment Agency, on and on and on. Tell me about some of the challenging times in your life. Look, like everyone else, I have challenges every day. And I believe the biggest misuse of time exists between the challenge or the problem and the solution. And so my objective is always to spend minutes and moments, but just to share a few so that people can understand there's nothing special other than my values and my practices, right? There's no extraordinary strength, intelligence. There's nothing extraordinary about what I do. I just live the extra mile every day. And so, you know, my dad leaves me when I'm five, six kids, single mom. I'm sexually abused at nine, right? Which doesn't come to the forefront deep into my 40s when I confront it. You know, I have from there this unbelievable desire to buy my mom a house and a car and to be rich. And then I start surrounding myself with the wrong people and the wrong ideas. I started surrounding myself with the leaders of the world and it ends up, you know, I'm doing all the wrong things with the wrong people. I'm living the life literally of Riley. Everyone dreams they have a life like mine. I'm a multimillionaire, married to my dream girl, three daughters under 10 years old. I own a golf course, a ski mountain, 33 homes in San Diego alone. I can do whatever I want. And I have access because I'm running the most notable sports agency in the world. They made the movie Jerry Maguire about my firm. And I have every single thing except for I'm not happy and I'm doing all the wrong things. So my wife threatens to leave me. And two years later, I lose over $100 million and go bankrupt, which set me to the greatest blessing and the greatest lesson of betting on yourself. You see, when you bet on yourself, and everyone has these stories, mine's not special. I promise you, everybody has the challenges and they utilize the time between challenges and solutions is a misuse of time. But for me, to bet on myself was to shift my paradigm of being punished. From whatever reason, the world of not enough, I always felt punished when there was mistakes, failures, setbacks, tragedies, and traumas in my life. I always felt like I was a victim and it was happening to me and I was being punished. But here's how I explain it today. When I was three years old, I reached out to put my hand on a hot stove. Now, my mom was the consummate second grade teacher. She still is. She still speaks to me like that super kind second grade teacher and that, you know, the voice, hi, sweetie. That's my mom. And she did the same thing for her community and her children and taught Sunday school. And my wife actually says all the time, Michael, she says, you know what your problem is, David? Your mom never hit you. (laughs) So you get a feel about my mom, right? An unconditional lover. That's what I call her. And What she did, though, is I reached out to touch the stove, and for the first time in my life, she slapped my hand hard, and she screamed at me, no. I immediately started to cry. I looked at her, and I'm like, why are you punishing me? What did I do? And she hugged me quickly and put me in an embrace and said, I'm not punishing you. I'm protecting you. I'm promoting you. I'm protecting. And so it took until my 40s to realize that all the hot stoves that I had touched from my dad leaving to being abused as a child to losing over a hundred million dollars and all the bleeders in my life, all the mistakes, failures, setbacks and challenges of my life. All that was, was a slap on my hand from the omniscient, from the all powerful, the all knowing, the 
abundant source slapping on my hand saying, I know you think you want this job. I know you think you want to get into this school. I know you think you want to do these things, but here, bam, let me promote you and protect you. And so many people don't bet on themselves to the degree that they know through the mistakes, the challenges, the setbacks, the voids, the shortages, and obstacles that they're being promoted and protected into a better place, a better situation. That's betting on yourself. Wow. And your transparency and vulnerability with your journey, I'm sure has touched millions of people's lives all around the world. It's a powerful story. Now, when you talk about success now at age 40. 54. Okay. I thought you were 40. Okay. I wish. Compliment. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) What's your definition of success now? Oh, that's easy for me. So my success is determined by how many people I make successful. So to elevate the people that are most relative to me and relativity can change in the people who feed me the most, but elevating others to elevate myself. You see, I'm planting seeds every day because of social media, because of my media presence and the brand that I've been able to build. I'm planting seeds under trees I may never sit under. And I'm doing it specifically with my four children. I have so much fun with seeing how, you know, the things that I say and do have impacted my own children, my family, my community, my country, and now even the world. I went to Riyadh and I spoke at the Global Entrepreneurship Congress, 120 countries. Steve Wozniak from Apple was a keynote. I was a keynote and the founder of Netflix was the third keynote. And as I walked in to you know, this place that they only opened up in 2019 in Saudi Arabia, and I walked in and so many people had so many stories of how I had impacted them, how I had elevated them, how I had empowered them and the seeds that I was planting. It was almost, my favorite moment was, if you've seen the movie Coming to America with Eddie Murphy when he's working at McDonald's, and one of his people from you know his country came in, I had a moment like that from a gentleman who runs a venture capital innovation launch pad accelerator in the Cameroon. I walk in, and it was just hilarious. He drops to his knees. He's like, oh, my God. Oh, my God, David, I watch you every day. You have changed my life and so many children's love. And he's on the ground at my feet. And I was like, Eddie Murphy in the movie, like, get up, dude. Like, please, you're embarrassing me. But I have to tell you, it wasn't just the ego boost that I received from that. It was the impact of what I'm talking about. What success is to me is how many people I can make successful passionate, purposeful, profitable. How many people in my life can I impact to make a lot of money, help a lot of people themselves, and be happy having a lot of fun? That's so beautiful. And you exude that and it's organic to you and it's real. You talk about ego and accountability a lot. Expound on that a little bit. Yeah. So the uh, talk about this limitation. So most people live in ego-based consciousness. They have a need to be right, offended, separate, inferior, superior, anxious, frustrated, angry, guilty, all these different feelings, right? Like think about people who worry and complain. That's a double, double negative. It's not only interfering with you and your potential, but it's actually wishing for what you don't want. Every time you worry, every time you complain, it's actually attracting what you don't want and interfering with who you are as an ego-based consciousness. And that world of ego-based consciousness is a liability world. And 
this pragmatic world we live in, there's liabilities. That's why we have lawyers and you know all the different things, laws that we have, regulations and rules. But liability, it's a world of blame, shame, and justification. What I want to teach people is a world of accountability. Accountability is what did I do to attract this to myself? And more importantly, what am I supposed to learn from it? Where's the light, the love, and the lesson? So the example I give is if you're at a stop sign and somebody runs their car into the back of you, they're liable, right? So call your insurance company. Don't tell the traffic court judge that you're accountable because they'll confuse it like most people liable. You're not liable, right? They are. But liability is blame, shame, and justification. The bigger question you should ask is, what did I do to attract this accident and what am I supposed to learn from it? Then you're going to get the real value out of it, not just getting your car fixed, but changing your life. Is self-reflection, self-evaluation, self-awareness like absolutely critical on the journey? Absolutely, because you give meaning to everything you see. Even in these days of accelerated change, because there's always change and uncertainty, it's just been accelerated. The introspective person understands they have control of three things introspectively. One, their mindset. They give meaning to everything you see. Two, your heart set. You are in control of the way you feel about things. And then three, the pragmatic world of handset, the misuse of time between problems and solution, the understanding of pragmatic time of activities, how to be productive, accessible, and gracious, how to be efficient, effective, and statistically successful. These three things in the realm of control are the control of you, the introspective you, the one that controls everything around you, regardless of the speed of change. Wow. It's a lot to take in, but I totally get it 100%. I'm going to process that pretty much the rest of the day, what you just said. Any regrets, David, along the journey? I don't call it regrets, but the biggest lesson that I've learned, and it's a simple one, and it is, I wish I would have learned to ask for help. I think the biggest thing is, you know, people are afraid to ask for help. They're afraid to confirm faith that we're all connected to and through the same source, that we're all resources of one another. We're all sponsors and power sponsors of one another, especially young people. I encourage you to force yourself every day to ask for help. Ask bigger, ask for more. Think about infinity plus one. Ask for things, be outrageous and ask every day in person from everyone you meet. Ask on the phone, ask via email. I actually check, Michael, my sent box every day still to see, to make sure how many emails I have that has an ask. Hey, will you want to join me on a Friday training? Hey, do you know anyone that I can help? Hey, do you know a speaking engagement? Whatever it may be, I have asked in person on the phone via email, and of course, traditional and social media, ask for help. The fastest way to get to where you want to be is to ask someone that's already there for directions, and people love to help. Why is it, Michael, that if I ask you to help me, that you feel great about it. Or when someone asks me for help, it's a compliment, right? We're like, oh, he's asking me to coach him. He must think that I have, you know, worthy, but yet we're too afraid to ask other people, even though we love helping people, we love when they ask us for help, we're too afraid to ask them for help. It's crazy. That's a great point because I still deal with that today. Me too. (laughs) I do. I mean, podcast guests helping in business questions, blah, blah, blah. 
it really is a real thing. And you just broke it down why it's hard for us to ask for help. You know, it's like sleep, help, even the basis of life. You know, I ask for help every day. I have mentors on the four necessities of life because I figure as a foundation, if I am better at the four necessities of life, everything else will come easier. So nutrition, if you don't eat, you die. Hydration, if you don't drink, you die. Breathing, so right, I have a meditation coach, you know, breathing, if you don't breathe, you're dead. And then finally sleep, if you don't sleep, you're dead. So I spend and prioritize my focus, attention, intention on that. Last few questions, your pace of life, from you just saying that, how is your pace of life now? As far as wellness, meditation, business meetings, podcasting, how <laughs> with so much going on, how is your pace of life now? I talk in terms of active, right? So if you want to speed up your production, meaning the value that you provide, if you want to speed up the accessibility, meaning you're more accessible to other people and you're capable of accessing what you want, it's a duplicative accessibility, and then gratitude. How quickly can you find the light, the love, and the lessons or find the lesson of whether or not it's worth it? That's how it speeds up. And if that's your intention, then that's the best way to do that. Makes sense. Makes total sense. And this is a fan question now. Warren Moon, how did that partnership uh, come together? I was a huge fan of Warren Moon. And you've met all the sports stars that there are. How did that partnership come about? Oh, it's the greatest partnership of my life because he's QB1 Kenobi. He carries the majesty of calmness. He is a spirit of excellence in you know, someone who like me is compulsive to a fault, but towards positive behaviors. And, you know, the way that it came about is I was hired to be the CEO of Lee Steinberg Sports and Entertainment, the most notable sports agency. And Warren Moon, who's 10 years younger than Lee, went to the same high school as Lee. And Lee took Warren Moon under his wing, even though we had a lot of racial tension and problems back in the 70s not just for Warren Moon as an NFL player who had to go to Canada for six years to prove he was the best quarterback in the world, to prove it, right, with all kinds of nonsense, but even to go to the Pac-8 to play. And even before that, ironically, his own junior college, because no Pac-8 school wanted him to be quarterback. They all wanted him to be receiver. He actually, his coach, he was so good, he won the California State Championship at LA City College his coach wouldn't send his film out because he wanted Warren to play his second year. So from the very beginning, you know, QB1 Kenobi has learned more lessons. And most people, you know, as we get older, they forget Warren Moon was a starting quarterback till he was 44 in a whole different age when you could molest, you know, receivers, when you could smash quarterbacks blind. Like it was a different game, bro. So Tom Brady would not have lasted to the age that he did if the rules were the same when Warren Moon played till he was 44, being the first black or African-American quarterback ever to be inducted in the Hall of Fame, the only quarterback ever to be inducted in the NFL and the Canadian Football Hall of Fame. You know, if you combine the amount of yards, touchdowns, et cetera, Warren Moon has put up in both the Canadian Football League and the NFL, nobody still has touched his records, even though they changed the rules where you can't touch a receiver. Right? If Warren Moon could run, he'd still be playing quarterback. I think he's the greatest thrower of the football I've ever seen, honestly. 
That mathematically has been proven, by the way, by the sports scientist that he throws the tightest, most aerodynamic spiral of any quarterback of all time. <laughs> there it is. Wow. How cool is that? Wow. Well, he's amazing, and you're amazing, obviously, and you're doing cool things with cool people, which is awesome. Last few questions. If you had to go back and share any advice to your 16-year-old self, what would you do? Yeah, we kind of talked about it before. It would be to ask for help, but I also would tell myself, you know, at 16, be kind to your future self by doing good deeds. You know, there's so much power in doing good. And I wrote a book, Connected to Goodness, about doing good. And, you know, people try to outlogic the way that they feel. And the only way we can change the way we feel when we're depressed, anxious, angry is by action. And the best action that you can do is something good. So if you can't find someone to help, go pick up trash. You know, there's a variety of things that you can do to be better and to live to your potential and to find the light. So do good deeds, be kind to your future self. And love people, which is what you do. We talked about 16-year-old self. Let's talk about the future. What's next for you and what's on the horizon? Yeah, for me, it's utilizing more of these great content plays that I have, you know, more TV shows, more podcasts, more interviews, more speeches on stages, more mastermind teachings, simply to help more people and empower more people like you, to empower more people, to empower more people, to make a lot of money, help a lot of people and have a lot of fun. Anybody can reach out to me. I give all my books for free. I pay for shipping. I pay for the book. I send whatever you need. All you got to do is reach out to me, david at dmeltzer.com. It's been an absolute privilege talking with you, sharing with you. I love your perspective of money. Money is needed. It's great only to serve people and to help people. And that's how I try to live my life. And I know you lived your life like that. And I just appreciate you being on this podcast, sharing your story, your journey with all of our listeners. You got it, my friend. Anytime. I look forward to having you on more of my shows yes. and being of service. You are a true servant leader yourself and an inspiration to me and others. I want to thank you for the time, Michael, and I look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you, David. And remember all the listeners, you are the secret to your success. David said, what are you ever going to invest in if you're not going to invest in yourself? This advice from his mother changed the course of David's life. Since then, he has dedicated his career to helping others invest in themselves. Today's conversation was full of David's generous insights on how to achieve your potential and get out of your own way. I am sure that you found this episode every bit as thought-provoking and inspiring as I did. Thank you so much for coming on the show, David. You can follow David Meltzer on Instagram at David Meltzer. Thank you for listening. And until next time, I'm Michael Redd. And remember, betting on yourself is the secret to your success. Hey.